Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to church today. Come on, I love being in the house of God. Uh, I love being together in the place uh, where, where believers and even people who don't know the Lord come together. And we hear a message of hope and life. And uh, my prayer today is you lead today a transformed person. Come on. I, I, I don't want to come to the house of God and not be changed. Man, how long have we been going to church and we just leave the same we left? It's just same old thing, you know. And I just want to declare that over you today, that uh, if you're visiting with us today, you're watching us online. We've got a bunch of folks online today as well. My prayer would be is that you would leave changed today, that you would leave transformed today, that you would leave uh, knowing that God is with you and that he loves you and that he re- wants a relationship with you and, uh, and that you would go today knowing that. We've been in a series uh, over the last, it'll, this, I think this is our seventh week in this series. It'll be a really long series because... Uh, in the beginning of this year, we, my wife and I were praying and just kind of unsure where to go, and the Lord just kind of really put this on our heart, that our church, we, we were, thank you, <laughs> our church was um, going through a season where we w- lost our facility, and we were kind of in a, a season where we didn't know what was going to happen next, and God blessed us uh, with this facility, and we love, now we have two services, and you know, the, the room and, and both, is, it's just great to see people in the house of God. We were just in a season where we were like just seeing new people come to the Lord and new salvations and water baptisms and, uh, you know, just a lot of really great things happening in our church. Not only that, I'm also seeing people experience momentum in their life and experience momentum in their heart. And so I begin to feel like, man, I want this momentum to continue. What happens often is, is that when, when, you, when you begin to get momentum in your life, momentum is when something or a group of people begin to move in a certain direction. And when you move in that certain direction, momentum is really, really hard to stop. But momentum eventually will come to a stop. And what happens is momentum often will begin to go back to where it was before if you're not careful. And see, what happens is many of us in our walk with God, and maybe you don't know God, you find yourself in a place where, where I, I call it, it's, it's a, this frustrating place of the standstill, the, the still waters, the, the middle ground of life, where you don't feel like you're going forward, you don't feel like you're going backward, you just are. It's this static place, and what many of us do is we find ourselves living in that place where there is no momentum forward, and the danger is if there's no momentum forward, there can always be momentum backwards. And when I thought, man, I want to do a series here that we look in Scripture and the book of Acts and try to understand how did the people of God continue their spiritual fervor and their spiritual momentum going forward? How will our church do that? How can you do that in your life to keep your spiritual momentum going forward? Because I'll be honest with you, I have been concerned and I've seen it throughout the years that whenever God does something great, the church goes into autopilot. Things are good. We don't press in, and what happens is, is our momentum starts to stop, and then you build a church on the middle ground, and you build what I call a religious relation, a religious in church environment, or a, a, you're in a religion rather than a relationship, and you're a moral person, and you do moral things, and you're a good person, but your relationship with God has stopped growing, and it's no longer alive and active. You're no longer in an intimate relationship with your creator. Now, it's just a religious moral compass, 
and sometimes you, you kind of go to church or do these things, and it's, it's a thing I believe, but it hasn't truly caused momentum to go forward. And what the enemy wants us to do is the enemy wants the momentum to stop, and he's happy with you being in that static place. He knows that if you and I are stuck in that place in our lives where we are kind of just frustrated and don't go forward and aren't going backwards, he's fine with that. He'll leave you there. Why? Because he knows you'll just coast through life on autopilot and never truly experience the abundant life that God wants for you. And so we looked in the book of Acts, and we've been walking through kind of verse by verse. And what we studied is, is that in the book of Acts, Dr. Luke, Luke was a young man, as I mentioned already, was a man who got found Christ through the, the Apostle Paul. And what he did was he actually interviewed hundreds of people uh, trying to understand what this whole Christianity thing was all about. He interviewed people who had experienced the resurrection of Jesus. He, 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 he interviewed people who were there at the crucifixion. He interviewed people who were there at Acts chapter 2 when the day of Pentecost came. Luke interviewed everybody as a doctor. He then compiled all of these hundreds and hundreds of testimonies, and he compiled them into two books of the Bible, the book of Luke, which I talked about, and the book of Acts, which we're studying. And what he did was, is he articulated that what happened in the beginning of the church, you and I are now sitting in this church today, experiencing and reaping the benefits of what, we, what happened over 2,000 years in Acts chapter 2. I want to say this very clearly. The Catholic Church in, in, AD, or in AD 3, or BC 322 was not the start of the church. The start of the church was after Jesus Christ died, rose from the dead, and 50 days later, the Holy Spirit came down upon the church, and 3,000 people were saved that day. That's when the local church started, and that's how we are building our church. And so we see in that scripture, we see that 3,000 people came to Christ. Peter got up. The Holy Spirit came down. And they began to talk about how good God was in a bunch of different languages. And, you know, French and English and Spanish and all these things. They began to speak in these languages. And, and they began to declare out loud how good God was and the greatness of God. And, and it says that they, people came to Christ. P- Peter got up and preached this message. 3,000 people that day were were convicted by the message that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is God, that he walked on the earth, was 100% man and 100% God, and that he came and died for me. And guess what? This is the only man, the only God who rose from the dead. And so these people got saved. They became Christians. And Dr. Luke, and this is what we've been looking at, Dr. Luke wrote down a verse. He, he segued between the, the first account of the account of the disciples in the upper room. And there's one little verse, verse 42. And this verse 42 really gives us an understanding of what the early church did, what the people of God did to stimulate spiritual growth in their lives. What did they do to stimulate uh, this spiritual momentum towards what God had for them? Luke writes down exactly what you and I should give our lives to. And he wrote it down in Acts chapter 2.42. He says, all the believers. Everyone say, all. all. There's no room for question here. This wasn't some of the believers. This wasn't one of the believers. All the believers, they devoted. That word devoted, literally in the Greek, means to who habitually, obsessively addict yourselves to these things. It's a radical word of total commitment. All the believers, not some of them, not this group of people, not that. No, all of the believers 
devoted themselves. They made a personal decision. It wasn't based on their feelings. It wasn't based on their experiences. It wasn't based upon how they were doing that day. They made a personal decision to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, which we talked about this, was the teachings of Jesus, was the truth of God's word, to fellowship, which is community, koinonia, this relationship with, with others inside of the church. And all of the believers were committed to the fellowship of the gathering of the, the followers of Jesus Christ. And they gathered together. We gathered our groups throughout the week and in prayer. You might think that means devotional prayer. Actually, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, that word actually is referring to the gathering like we are doing today for worship and for prayer. So Luke said, this is what it took to generate spiritual momentum in your life. He didn't say go off and be by yourself. He didn't say go off and just read a scripture. He said, no, commit your life wholeheartedly to, to, to the words and the teachings of Jesus and adhere your life to it completely. Commit yourself wholeheartedly to being in the community of faith and committing yourself to one another in the house of God. And he said, devote yourself habitually and commit yourself to the gathering of, of the followers of Jesus in prayer and in worship together. Now, Luke articulated this, and then he says, and these are the results of what that looks like. He says, okay, verse 43 to 47, he says, and they did this, and they did this, and they did this, and this. That's what this next two months is about, helping you understand what are the results of these commitments. When you make these devotions in your life, when you devote yourself to God's word, when you devote yourself to being in community with your other people who are of the faith and in a church community, not just at Starbucks, but in a church community together. And when you devote yourself to gathering for prayer and for worship and for being together, there is actual spiritual momentum that will be generated in your life. And guess what? Sometimes I don't like being at church. Sometimes I don't like going to a group. Sometimes I don't like reading my word. Hello, come on, who agrees with me? Sometimes I don't want to do anything of those things this verse has nothing to do with what you want or don't want to do this has everything to do with a personal commitment to say if i'm a follower of jesus all the believers devoted themselves to this it generated spiritual momentum god began to move in a supernatural way and we see right after this verse we see uh the chapter three rolls in now luke could have used any of the examples uh in the stories and the interviews that he did he probably had hundreds of stories of what happened in the book of Acts. He probably had so many stories to choose from, yet Peter, or, or uh, Luke rather, chose to write about this one story. The very first story that he tells, just after he describes what the church looked like, he says, now let me give you a real-time example of what this looks like when you devote yourself. These are the results of spiritual momentum in your life. And it's this story here in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John, they went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. And as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. And each day, he, 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 he was put beside the temple being carried in. I'm sorry, each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called Beautiful Gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and he saw John about to enter, the temple then was just like here, a little different, maybe not as much technology, but as people going into the temple of God, the house of God, Christians would gather together. When Peter was going to the three o'clock prayer meeting happening at the church, these people stopped him. This guy stopped him and he, he, he thought he was asking for money. Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, 
but I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and he helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up and stood on his feet and began to walk. And then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple, into the church with them, and all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. And when they realized he was the lame beggar that they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded, and they all, they all, they all rushed in amazement into the place of that temple where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. The very first example that Luke uses, we see people go, we see Christians going to a prayer meeting. We see people preaching the gospel. We see miracles and healing. We see an excitement because of what God is doing in the house of God. We see people running to the house of the Lord because this guy has been out there for so many years and they shared the the, the message of Jesus with him and now his life has been transformed. He's been drastically healed and Luke was trying to help us understand what was generating spiritual, spiritual reality in the church. And then something happened. Peter and John were taken to prison. And it's fascinating because the people that took them to prison were the religious people. The Sadducees and the Pharisees didn't like what Peter and John were doing. So very fascinating to me that the, one, the ones who didn't like the fact that Peter and John were talking about Jesus and there was miracles and there, there was excitement and joy, the ones who, who were like, we don't like this, were the ones who were supposed to be know God the most. They were the religious people who said, we don't like that you are doing this. We liked things the way they were. We liked it quiet. We liked it settled. We don't want to mess things up. And listen, we like being in control and charge. We like knowing what's going on. We like religion. We don't want you to bring that relationship to Jesus stuff into the church. Because every time you do that, people get healed. Every time you share your faith, people are finding Christ. Every time you share your faith, there's a new excitement in the house of God for more of what God has for them. We don't want that. We want the old way. And so they took him into jail. They brought him before him. They said, you guys need to stop talking about Jesus. And it says, man, it seems interesting. These guys have never been to Bible college. These guys are, are uneducated. Yet I know that they've been with Jesus. And these men said, you need to stop talking about Jesus. And they said, how can we stop talking about Jesus? And so they beat him up. They flogged him. They whipped him with sticks. <laughs> and then they sent him out. And they left that place. And where did they go? They immediately went to the Sundance group at Vincent Justine's house. <laughs> because they, they weren't at the temple. They were having a group that night on Thursday night at 6 p.m. You're going to get a lot of people in your group now, Vince. And they roll in, and they're, 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 they're there, and they're, they're, they're telling them what happened and all of these things. And it says that when the church, when they, when they heard this report, they, they, all the believers, how many, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Look what it says. And now, Lord, take note of the threats that they have made and allow us, your servants, all the believers, to speak your message with all boldness. Reach out your hand to heal and grant the wonders and miracles may be performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and then they preached the word of God with boldness. Next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the result of spiritual momentum is the fear of the Lord. The result of spiritual momentum is super, like physical miracles. 
result of spiritual momentum. We're talking about generosity. But Steph, last week, talked about boldness in your faith. And I want to take one more week and talk about this. And the reason is this, because I think one of the greatest things missing in the North American church specifically is the reality of what happens when you begin to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to show you something today, because if you read in this verse, the, the, the word he uses is they preach boldly. I want to look at those two words real quick. The word boldly, it means freedom in speech. It means unreserved in speech. It means without concealment or ambiguity. It means a fearless confidence. Lord, allow us to speak your message with freedom, with fearless confidence, without being reserved or concealed, without ambiguity. God, help us to speak your word with freedom. That word preach here. Now, this is where a lot of Christian people will zone out when I say this next word. So it's okay. Hang on. We're not going to use this word only one time in the entire message today. So it's okay. This word preach is the word evangelism. (laughs) I went better at the first service. (laughs) Okay, that was awesome. I'll work on my delivery better next time. You guys are like, huh? What's that word? Some of you might not know what that word means. And that's great. But this word preach actually has a two-compound word. The first compound word is the idea, it speaks to actually, like it means to announce the good news. It means to declare, to bring glad tidings. It means a messenger, almost like an angel, somebody who speaks the word of God. The other compound of this word is actually to do well, to act rightly. It means how you live your life. So the word evangelism or the word to preach is actually to speak with boldness, to speak God's word, and to live with boldness. What he's saying here is that they talked about Jesus and they lived a life like Jesus. They were completely different. When they met Christ, remember that they were, they were, they were birthed, in, many of them were birthed into a religious environment and where they were waiting for the Messiah, Jesus, to come. So when they accepted Jesus Christ, they were confessing that this was the Messiah that we've been waiting for for thousands of years and he's arrived today. When they met Jesus, it absolutely and completely transformed their life. Now remember, the culture that they lived in that day There were a lot of things that were happening there. In that day, racism was prevalent. There were many different nations and ethnicities and Jew and Greek and Samaritan. And what they would often do is they would remain in their own environment. Jews would stay with Jews and Greeks with Greeks and Samaritans with Samaritans because there was an obvious dividing line between the different races and the different ethnicities. And so what they would do is is they would stick together, creating a dividing line between the realities of race and the realities of ethnicity, creating this idea that we are better than them or they are better than us. Racism was prevalent in that day. Gender inequality, where women were treated like dogs, they were a second-class citizen. In fact, they were so mistreated in that day that they didn't bear children. They were, at times, outcasts, out of the family. And the husbands could sleep with whoever they wanted to, while women would need to stay faithful to her husband. They were treated like a lower-class, diminished society. Women had no value. Women had no purpose except to have babies. Anybody love that? <laughs> No. Gender equality was prevalent. 
There was elitism where there was a higher, this higher class of people who were the rich ones and the smart ones and the educated ones. And there was a massive chasm between these upper echelon and the lower echelons of people. Immorality was prevalent in that day. Sexual immorality where people were sleeping around with one another. There was alternative lifestyles that was accepted and embraced even within the church. There was people, all sorts of people were accepting all sorts of sexual immorality. And in fact, in that day, the way in which you would work Worship your God was to perform sexual illicit acts with other people and other things. It was prevalent in that day. Sexual immorality was prevalent in that environment. There was a removal of children from the womb. And most often it was women, girls, were taken from the, 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 the womb. They were aborted because of their gender, because they needed more male children than female children. And that's why the population of men was so much higher in that day, was because they were uh, accepted the idea that, that life in, in the womb did not have value. There was retaliation where people were taught, it's an eye for an eye, and it's a two for a two. You wrong me, I'm going to wrong you. You cross me, I'm going to cross you. You mistreat me, I'm going to mistreat you, because that's what we're taught. It was an environment of revenge, and it was environment of polytheism where people had many gods and even in that day there were those who gave their lives to Jesus yet in their cultural mindset the idea of accepting another god into your life was an accepted reality sure accept Jesus but not only Jesus you've got lots of gods in your life you've got the Greek god and you've got the Aphrodite god and you've got the Samaritan god you've got the land god the sun god we've got all these gods just add Jesus to the equation that's fantastic and so polytheism was prevalent in that time doesn't this sound like our culture today where we live in a culture today where racism is prevalent and I love the fact that if you look at our church today we have nations and ethnicities from all over the world we had a prayer meeting a couple weeks ago we counted 10 including English 10 different languages represented in our church because what happened was is something happened in these people's lives where they used to see they used to see the dividing lines of race. See, I do see color because I love color and I love the diversity and I love the culture and so does God. And do you want to know what happens when God looks at our church? He sees these nine to 10 different languages and he says, that's what heaven looks like. And see, what happened was is that the people of that day saw that there, it wasn't just how they spoke. They didn't just say, oh, bless you, brother, or say good things. No, they looked at their life and said, oh, my gosh, there's no racism in them. They do life together. They have a common, the only common thread they have. They might eat different foods. Is His name is Jesus. Jesus brings them together. Jesus brings the Africans and the South Africans and, the, and those from Venezuela and those from Colombia and those from all over the world all together under one roof with all sorts of different smells and all sorts of different food smells is what I mean. Not, not you smell, food smell. <laughs> Foods and things and cultures brings them together and now we celebrate culture. We don't say, see no color. No, don't do that. No, we don't politicize race. We celebrate it. That's what people saw. Something was different. They saw the gender equality about how, yes, the Bible teaches that a woman should submit to her husband, but it also teaches that a man should die for his wife. Now we have this mutual submission where a husband is laying his life down for his wife and the woman is submitting to her, her husband and there's this constant submission between the two and people would look at them and think, what, what is happening here? You're telling me that your wife is an equal with you? Absolutely. We are equals. We do life together. We are in this together. The gender equality happened in the context of Christianity. It was God. It was Jesus who broke down the hostility between male and female. It was God. It was Jesus. So when people look at the church, they see something different. 
We see this idea of, of elitism. They now, people who couldn't keep up with the spiritual, you know, thinking of the day, the philosophy, you say, man, I'm not educated. I don't really know my word. But now we have the Holy Spirit. And they would be able to stand on street corners with people who would try to debate them on things and the Holy Spirit would just speak to them. Holy Spirit would just give them, hey, remember this scripture that you read? Remember this thing? Man, how do you know all this? Uh, You're not educated. It's because of the Holy Spirit. We see that immorality is no longer a reality. Men are are staying faithful to their wives and, and, and men are choosing no longer to engage in sexual activity outside the marriage and they're staying together and they're, they're reinforcing marriages and there's more married people staying together in the house of God than the 52% divorce rate in Canada. They look at the church and say, oh my gosh, why, why, how, you guys fight all the time. How are you, you guys, I see you guys arguing. How are you okay after that? It's Jesus. We just forgive each other. We just keep going. Now, how is it that you've gone through all of that in your life and yet you're still together? Man, I went through a lot less and our marriage fell apart. It's Jesus. I don't know. It's Jesus. He just helps us. Your life looks different. And we see that now we value the fact that there is a life in that womb. And that's why in that day, the major reason the church of Jesus Christ grew was because they no longer aborted their women children. That's why the women of the church in the early centuries, the women of the church were in higher population within the church because they stopped murdering their children babies. They stopped getting rid of their girls. And that's why there was more followers of Jesus. There was many females in the early church because they were beginning to be allowed to be born. Now when someone retaliated against you and spoke ill of you and said bad things about you yesterday before Christ, you would retaliate and come back on them and be angry. Now you forgive them. You love them. You lay your life down for them. And yeah, they don't deserve it, that's for sure. But Jesus said, forgive and you will be forgiven. He taught me something. I see Jesus on the cross and now I can forgive others and lay my life down for others. See, that's weird. How can it be that you were mistreated like that at your job or you were mistreated in your marriage or so your, your father did that to you or this thing happened? How can it be that all those things happen and yet you forgive? It's just Jesus. Like It's just Jesus. Like I met Christ and he changed me and now I forgive and I don't understand it either, but it's only by the Holy Spirit. See, we begin to be evangelistic with our lives because you and I are different we don't look like the things of this world we no longer allow other gods in our lives we no longer allow the God of greed or the God of money or the God of, of success or the God of fame or the God of fortune or the, 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 the God of sex or the, the God these gods that we allow in our life and the trinkets on our, our wall and say okay look at all these gods yes God I love you but I'm gonna I'm gonna work so hard that I burn myself to a bone and my wife and I are at odds because I work so much yes put Jesus first and you won't need to do all that Jesus remains the only one in my life And this is what happens in the scripture is that there was no longer these things. And so their life looked different. Their position was different. Their perspective was different. Now, I'm not talking about going on Facebook and being obnoxious on Facebook. I'm talking about being a loving, gentle reminder to people, my life's different. I forgive because of Jesus. I honor life because of Jesus. I don't, I don't see the things that you see because I have Jesus in my life. And so their life was different. And now their life boldly spoke out loud. And guess what happened? They were persecuted for it. This is one of the greatest reasons why followers of Jesus do not share their faith. It's because we don't want people to not like us. 
we want people to accept us. We, we, want everyone, we're, we want everyone to love us and everyone to be there for us. And I get it. Trust me. It's one of the hardest things. But the reality is this. See, God wants you to know that when you are persecuted for being bold in your faith, he says, all of heaven applauds and says, great is your reward. You have to remember that. That in Acts chapter 1, look what it says. I'm going to read this scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, rather. And so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd. The empty-headed, mindless crowd, they refuse for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch not only with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore. Feeling no pain, they let themselves go in sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion. But that's no life for you. You learn Christ. My assumption is that you've paid careful attention to him, been well instructed in the truth, precisely as we have in Christ. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance any longer. Everything, and I do mean everything, everything connected with that old way of life has to go. It is rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on this earth entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces His character in you. See, when we begin to live like that, you're going to face persecution. You're going to have people who don't like you. After this happened, a great wave of persecution began that day sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the reason the regions of Judah and Samaria. But I want you to see what the church did. Look, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they want. I want you to hear me today. One of the greatest ways to generate life-giving spiritual momentum in your life, you're going to hate this, (laughs) is to be persecuted for sharing your faith. It's to be persecuted for being different. It's to be perfect, persecuted for standing up for life. It's to be persecuted for standing up for his word. I'm not talking about being on a street corner, holding a sign saying, turn or burn, fly or fry. I'm not talking about that nonsense. I'm talking about being loving and gentle and gracious and caring and loving people, but not stopping what God says, continually adhering to the word of God, saying, listen, my life is different. I'm changed. I know you don't understand it, but my life is forever changed. And guess what's going to happen? People aren't going to want to be your friend. People aren't going to want to have you over for dinner. Some people might not want to talk to you anymore. But this is what develops spiritual momentum. And this is the danger. This is the challenge. Is that what happens is, is that when we begin to no longer be bold with our lives, we begin to kind of find the middle ground and say, okay, I don't want to fit anybody and I don't want to hurt anybody. So we move our lives to a place where we're okay with everybody. What happens is you lose your spiritual momentum and you begin to lose your saltiness. Look what Jesus said. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, Jesus wrote this, not me. Take it up with him. How will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Whoo, Jesus. She said, Ryan, I don't want to be persecuted. And I want my friends to like me. And uh, I do too. I do too. But Jesus promises us something. Look at the scripture. You're blessed when your commitment to God provides, provokes persecution. Look at this. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. 
it causes there to be this, this, this fresh awakening in the spiritual realm. This fresh awakening in your life where you begin to talk about Jesus and your life looks different on the outside and you begin to reflect the Christ-like life. It says, not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even for though they don't like it, Jesus says, I do. And all of heaven's applauding. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten in this kind of trouble. See, I'm not here today saying that you should go out and be an obnoxious Christian who goes out and tells everyone you're going to hell and you're a terrible person. What you should do is remember the love of God for your life. Remember where you came from. What did he save you from? What did he transform you from? I know for me, it was addiction and brokenness and hopelessness and depression and anxiety. He healed me. He transformed me. That's why I say, God, I want to please you with my life. And as I please you with my life, let it be a testimony to others that my life is different. But is your life a reflection of what Jesus looks like? You talk the way in Jesus wants you to talk. Is your, is your word seasoned with love and care and concern and prayerful consideration for the person who doesn't know the Lord? Can you imagine life without Christ? Can you imagine how you would handle with the situation you're facing right now without Jesus? I would be a mess. And yet Jesus found me. So when I share my faith, it's not out of you're going to hell and judgment. No, it's out of Jesus loves you. He cares for you. He wants a relationship with you. And if he can save me, he can save you. Hello. So what brought me here? Um, my friend Shelly. Shelly is a great sister. Uh, I met her in 2016. And... From probably a month after I met her, she started talking to me about the Lord, Jesus, and how great Jesus was, and that I should come to church and take a look. And I thought, no, not for me. I've done church. It's not my thing. But she kept at it all these years. And in 2022, we were in Jamaica, and something came over me. The, was the Spirit, the Lord. I felt His presence, and I realized at that point that I needed Him. I, I needed to accept Christ and um, at that point I didn't really want to go to church still I'd had bad experience after bad experience church has not been somewhere I really wanted to go but I so I started to watch online and I really liked it that the message was really great the music the worship but I still wasn't there yet and then I came I decided what the heck I can come. What am I going to lose one Sunday? And I got hooked. At that moment, I knew Jesus was there. And since then, I can't stop coming. I love coming to church. I love my church community. This is not like any other church. And even now, my daughter, my son-in-law, my grandsons come. I've had my family come to church and we're going to keep going and bringing in more people to follow Jesus. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. 
We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. 